Welcome back to the Mining Pod. We got a great news roundup. Actually, a lot of stuff happened in Bitcoin mining this week, so we have much to get into. The shows have been getting slightly longer. We apologize for that. I think it's because we really like Bitcoin mining, so we just end up talking about it a lot. As always, Charlie and Matt are joining me today. We'll get into the news in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. Did you know that you can make more money by merge mining other networks? Check out makemoremoneymining.com for information on BIPs 300 and 301, a proposal to bring more revenue to Bitcoin miners through sidechains and merge mining called DriveChains. Increase your mining revenues and learn more about participating in Bitcoin governance by visiting makemoremoneymining.com. Are you a miner who wants to activate Bitcoin improvements? Check out activation.watch. See what Bitcoin improvements the Bitcoin community, developers, and miners are considering and show support by signaling for one of many BIPs up for consideration. Activation.watch. Is your mining operation happening ready? Take control of your own future with the right energy strategy. Linkcoin Energy Trading Platform is a tool used by miners to design, monitor, and seamlessly orchestrate sophisticated energy strategies within electricity markets such as ERCOT, New York, and PJM. Avoid penalties, participate in demand response programs, and capture hundreds of thousands of dollars per megawatt per year by deploying the right block and index strategy. Secure your competitive edge at Lingcoin.com. Are you a retail or institutional investor interested in Bitcoin mining companies? The Miner Mag brings you free data and analysis from all major NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin mining operations to know who stands out. Check out visualized metrics and data-dependent stories at theminermag.com. Hey, Mining Pod, I'm Lee Bratcher, president of the Texas Blockchain Council. The Texas Blockchain Summit is now the North American Blockchain Summit. The same emphasis on policy, energy, and Bitcoin mining, but now expanded by working with our partners across the country. We've got great sponsors lined up like Riot, Marathon, GDA, CleanSpark, BitDeer, Lantium, Corman, Compass, HTS, Crypto Power, Priority Power, Sonoda, and many more. Solidify your next deal or JV or just come for the networking on November 15th through 17th in Fort Worth, Texas, for the third annual North American Blockchain Summit. We'll see you there. Okay, welcome back to the show. On the docket, four different topics this week. First, we're going to start off with a little sidebar from Michael Saylor talking about Bitcoin miners dumping on the market. So we'll get a little video here in a second, some responses to that. Then we're going to go into the meat of today's conversation. Biden administration putting out an executive order around AI and compute then moving over to Core Scientific and its notice to move out of Chapter 11 in the coming months and finishing off with Tether and its recent unsecured loan to Northern Data. So I'll first throw this video up on the screen. Let's take a listen now. Michael, uh, Bob Pisani here. Uh, Bitcoin is going to be having a halving next year. Uh, that's a rare event. Uh, can you sort of educate the viewers on what happens when that occurs and what, if any, effect that'll have on Bitcoin's price? Well, m most of the natural sellers of Bitcoin in the market right now are Bitcoin miners, and they have to sell to pay their electricity bill and their capital costs and retire their debt. That's about a billion dollars a month worth of selling into the market. Um, the protocol forces that to be cut in half as of about next April, late April. So you're going to see $12 billion of natural selling per year converted into $6 billion of natural selling a year. At the same time as, as things like spot Bitcoin ETFs increase the demand for Bitcoin. So that's why all of us are fairly bullish over the next 12 months. Demand's going to increase, uh, supply is going to contract, and this is Fairly unprecedented in the history of Wall Street. 
All right, I'll start off with this one. Yes, please do. Okay, so his assumption is that every coin that is mined is going to be sold basically immediately by a miner. I where like I agree with him is that miners are natural market participants and they are natural sellers in some degree in the sense that that is how they receive their revenue through mining earning bitcoin, right? And then they do have operational costs that they have to pay, right? But not as we've seen clearly by public miners, right? In a very public fashion People hold Bitcoin. Miners particularly hold Bitcoin and are long Bitcoin. Um, he also makes it sound like this is a, a, a kind of a lot of spot market sell volume when he said about a billion a month, which that's the upper bound. Um, where daily big spot Bitcoin market volume is like this year, I would say average probably five to seven billion a day. Right. On and, and that's probably on a subset of exchanges, not not globally. So we're talking about a pretty small market impact with not necessarily right numbers. Um, not to like completely call them out, but I I don't know. Charlie, you can what call do you guys out. think? I'll I'll echo what you said, Matt. I mean, miners are a natural seller of Bitcoin to cover OPEX, but uh, and this has kind of been a part of the conversation. Are miners the primary seller? Are they kind of the primary driver? of this like selling pressure into the market. If we back test it, if we look at real numbers, it's pretty clear they're not the primary driver. They're not the main seller of Bitcoin that happens kind of for other market reasons and other market participants. So um, I think it's actually pretty well understood of a, of a phenomenon now or of kind of mechanic in the market to where I would say sailors kind of wrong characterizing it like this. He's not, um, he's not entirely wrong talking about the other things such as um, issuance and supply and demand ramping up. But uh, as far as like sell pressure, I think that's a mischaracterization. Yeah. So I, I saw this video this morning on my feed and I got a little annoyed because I do think like there's a lot of misinformation around Bitcoin miners selling into the market. I think it's just like the easy swing to take at people. And he does have like a lot of broad strokes answers within the CNBC interview. And I understand why he's talking to like a boomer market. They're not necessarily going to get it they can understand that there's these miners and they sell. So that's why they like make everything so abstract. That being said, a billion dollars a month is not what we're seeing. So I looked at two metrics just to sort of understand how miners are selling right now. One being this one from CoinMetrics, which takes a look at the one hop addresses, which would probably be Bitcoin miners. That's the best we can kind of guess. And how often they are selling based on what is their supply? Is their supply decreasing uh, over a certain time period? And from August to October, it decreased by about a billion dollars USD over like a 60 to 90 day period. You can see here on the screen, but it's actually rebounding right now. So that means miners are probably holding more. The second metric we looked at was the percentage of sells or the amount of Bitcoin sold by public miners. So we have that information from their statements they put out every month. And we have about 20 of these public miners and they put out how many Bitcoin they sell every single month. And I just went back and looked at the last month that we have numbers for in September and above 15 public miners took a look at, they sold about $165 million worth of Bitcoin over that time period. And that's possibly like between 20 and 25% of network cash rate. So to get to Michael Saylor's number of $1 billion sold per month, you'd have to assume that all these other Bitcoin miners are also dumping on the market and they're also dumping on like 
a price point that would push it towards a $1 billion volume. It just seems like a little nonsensical to me. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to mention was he talks about like the sell pressure is always there when it's not. I mean, you can look at this chart right here. You can see like Bitcoin miners are typically accumulating. They're not really selling. A lot of the miners we've tracked over the last year or so have been accumulating. It's only been the last few months that they're selling and they're really only selling their production. They're not selling their treasuries. They typically have very large hodls. But we've probably beaten that subject to death. Unless, Matt, you have a follow-up? I was just going to say, if, if what Sailor was saying is true, that chart would be a flat line, right? Because it's a cumulative amount held by the addresses. Um, Look very different, yes. Well, actually, you should you should relay the... It's in dollar terms. You should relay the Bitcoin price over the chart. But you, if you can see on that chart that in uh, May 2020, it was going up, right? So when the previous halving hit, actually the amount held by miners was increasing as coins were uh, being issued at one half the rate. Maybe yeah. that'll happen again. I do like starting off an episode with a, a modest sailor pushback. So a modest proposal yeah. for sailor. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. He bought more Bitcoin this week. So I guess we'll take it. Well, we'll appreciate what he did. Let's go over to another video clip. The Biden administration this week put out an executive order relating to general compute and AI, essentially stating that if you're over a certain size, of compute, then you need to register with the national government so they can keep an eye on you. Very interesting executive order that made a lot of people in the tech industry unhappy. I saw Mark Andreessen tweeting about this. I saw like, numerous people tweeting about this in the tech industry, uh, saying like, you can't, you can pry this GPU out of my cold dead hands is basically the tagline. Now for the gist of it, I do want to get into it in a second. It does seem like the regulations are such a high hurdle or threshold at this point that's not really going to affect the industry it's like a forward-looking regulation but it is somewhat concerning before we go into that i do want to show this clip from sam altman the ceo of OpenAI. he testified in may to congress about the need for regulation in ai and to me this is sort of where the whole story begins so i want to get this video first before we dive into anything else but but it is absolutely true that the number of companies that can train the true frontier models is going to be small just because of the resources required. And so I think there needs to be incredible scrutiny on us and our competitors. Uh, I think there is a rich and exciting industry happening of incredibly good research and new startups that are not just using our models, but creating their own. And I, I think it's important to make sure that whatever regulatory stuff happens, whatever new agencies may or may not happen, we, we preserve that fire. Hey, Charlie, I'll hand it over to you to get your take on it. This pissed off a lot of people in the tech industry, as I think it should. But where do I you think you draw the line for, for regulation? Dude, I'm really not that qualified to talk about regulation on AI. Uh, I do, I, I think, uh, I think this should be a careful, scrutinized industry, but I don't know how we should scrutinize it. Uh, Sam Altman tends to be a, div a divisive figure and kind of, uh, rubs me the wrong way as far as like how much I trust him to be the figurehead for this uh, new frontier, as he says. But uh, I, I really, I really don't have a strong take on this. I'll throw it over to Matt. I will, I will give my my consumers per perspective. But I guess like Sam Altman is, and I that's the first time I've seen that clip. But he's like in a line of these notorious tech founders, Zuckerberg, Elon, right, coming to Congress and saying. We are open. Uh, please regulate our industry. And I can't help but think, of course, 
they want that, right? It just gives them a bigger moat if there's more regulatory capture, if there's more licenses that need to be done that bring comp, um, it that restricts open competition, right? And my worry is that in the AI industry, particularly, if there is uh, a higher barrier to compete, um, that when we interact with AI, there will be kind of a standard uh, truth among them that spits out a lot of very plausible, believable answers. But if you've uh, interacted with any of kind of the earlier large language models of like today, they can be very believable, but they can also be uh, incorrect if you are asking them about things that you yourself are a subject matter expert on. Um, and I think open competition is a very good thing in the sense that other perspectives, right, or uh, more truths can be uh, relayed to you from interacting with AI. That was a, a bit of a uh, rant, but the the general sense is that uh, open competition, I think, is pretty important in the AI space, uh, especially with how big people are forecasting it will become. So I went to the Oracle of All Truth, which has read it to better understand this executive order. And the executive order said, quote, any model trained with over 280 million H100 hours, H100 being a model of GPU, or any cluster with 10 to the 20 flops, which is 50,000 H100s. So it gave like this very generalistic metric for understanding what is going to be regulated by the government or must be regulated by the government. And for most people, it's like, yeah, I have no idea what that is. Uh, but according to Reddit, the idea here is that there's a very, very high threshold. Only a few companies would be able to do this. Like the Microsofts, the OpenAIs of the world would be the only ones who are really able to meet that threshold at this point. But that does give, give the government the ability to start incrementally regulating this industry as it gets going and off the ground. Very much in the same way that they tried to do this with early compute in the 70s and 80s. They tried to do it with cryptography in the 90s. Typically, all these things kind of fail over time, but it does present like a large hurdle and or does create like monopolies within like the new tech sector. I'll say like it seems ridiculous to me to define an amount of compute at the, at the legal or kind of, uh, you know, at the structural level. This is the fastest moving industry. So by the time this becomes, a, you know, enshrined into law or policy, then we will already have been, you know, Moore's Law 18 months doubled the amount of compute or whatever. It, that seems, it seems kind of crazy to me to define it like that. I have not had a lot of faith in our uh, regulators to understand tech at a level well enough to regulate it. So I, you know, not super optimistic that we'll uh, know what we're doing this time around. I do love the intersection of boomers and DC and tech world it is kind of funny. Okay, let's go to our last two subjects for today. We might just kind of mush them together a little bit because they're both relating to larger Bitcoin miners. The first one I'm going to pull up on the screen here is Core Scientific exiting Chapter 11. So this is our friends from over at the Miner Mag. Go check them out. Core Scientific eyes Chapter 11 exit by year end. Restructuring plan includes $410 million in new notes and new convertible notes. At the core here is Core Scientific has been undergoing a restructuring for the last year or so. They first went public in January of 2022. And by the end of that year, they were in Chapter 11 after they elected to go into that. 
Uh, they've been coming out of that over the last year. Since then, they've been slipping on the threshold for like the metric for being the largest public miner in North America. I'm not certain if Marathon, I think Marathon took them over earlier this over year. Summer, yeah, they flipped them. But it's still a huge miner, right? And they still have the potential to be very large as well. Uh, they consolidated a lot of things. They settled some issues with the Celsius estate. Uh, they sold off some different parts to a few different miners, uh, but they're still growing. They made an agreement for purchasing some uh, XP 140 Terrash units, and they've also restructured their debt. So you can see here, uh, there's a term sheet outlining two different liabilities, including a few hundred million dollar convertible notes that are due at different time periods over the next few years. All those notes have interests. I think the biggest thing to me here is that we're going to happening and core scientific is probably the biggest question in terms of public miners coming out of that. I think most other miners we've seen have sort of, we kind of know where they're at. They're, they're, they might not be in a great spot, but we kind of know where they're at. Core scientific seems to be the only one where like, we got to see how these things shake out. We got to see how the exit from chapter 11, though all this looks really promising so far. Yeah, I mean, this time last year, we I thought it was just a matter of days, you know, like a month or two till uh, Core Scientific, uh, you know, went really went through the bankruptcy process. And here we are, and they're looking at exiting it after one of the most punishing bear markets we've ever seen. So uh, I continue to be surprised how, how well some of these uh, operations have survived. And uh, yeah, so I, I mean, well done treading water for the past year. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll just have to see what it looks like going to the having. Yeah, to me, this is this is a happy story. A lot of people hear the words bankruptcy and they think it's all over and they're selling all of their assets. They're just trying to repay the creditors. But the thing with Chapter 11 is that it's a restructuring, right? A reorganization of debt. And so this is a success story of them um, essentially coming out of that. Um, so you're saying we're so back. At. But I'm not going to say that, Will, because we are, as you said, what, four or five months from the halving and core. I looked it up, actually. In December 21, they took on $180 million alone in debt in just that month, right? They still have a couple hundred million outstanding in debt. They just made a large deal with Bitmain in September um, for like four exahash worth of equipment that they need to deploy and get going ahead of the halving. Meanwhile, while they've been going through bankruptcy, a lot of other miners have caught up. Like you said, Marathon uh, now has greater hash rate than them. So the, the challenges are really, um, they're, they're just starting again uh, for core, or they didn't go away, that is. So uh, congratulations for making it out of the, the chapter 11 circumstance. But now you got to get ready for the big looming having. So good luck. Back into the rat race with everybody else. Yeah, it's like you could divide uh, miners into, like, uh, you could measure them by how are they coming into the having from from a position of strength, and this would be on the back foot. So, right. uh, but you know, so again, I'm just so surprised that they've made it this far. Last note on this: we are having core scientifics Adam Sullivan on the show down in Dallas in two weeks. So if you have any questions for me or for him, or I guess course scientific in general, send me an email at William at blockspace.media 
and we'll take a look at it and see if we can get the question into the show. Last topic for today, let's talk about Tether. This news came out late last night. Huge, huge loan facility. Northern Data Science, $600 million debt facility with Tether. The facility is unsecured. It has a term that extends until the end of 2029. Again, this is from our friends over at the Miner Mag. This is a really, really big debt facility. I think it was the largest I've seen in a while. And I guess it's because Tether wants to double down on Northern Data building AI and Bitcoin mining capacity and mostly in Europe. Yeah, another step in the convergence of AI and miners. I mean, we'll see how it goes. It like 600 million sounds like so much, but actually when you look at the Tether numbers and you and you see how much um Tether outstanding they have and if they have short-term securities, this comes out to like 2 months of revenue for for Tether, which is just absolutely insane. Um but I don't have much on this one, Charlie, over to you. I don't have a ton of insight to the actual, you know, how tethers run, but I mean, like they are, it's a money printing machine. Um, go ahead and do something with that money. I think it makes a lot of sense for them to do this. Um, again, 600 million seems like a ton until you realize they, that's just a, a couple months for them. Uh, I, everybody talks about the convergence of crypto and compute or, or crypto and AI. And I hear crypto, I hear mining and compute as much more synergistic. Like, to me, I don't know how they fit it together because of different data center models, but, like, these are two, like, the two frontiers, again, I'm using that, that term, two frontiers of computer, like, compute growth, which is, like, the dominant commodity of this decade, probably next. So I just think these will continue to converge. I think the difference between a Bitcoin mining company and an AI company could get very blurry over the next decade. Um, we'll have to see. I think there are some really interesting hybrid strategies that we'll see uh, executed over the next several years. Definitely agree with both of you guys. Tether numbers are crazy. They're about $1 billion in profit per quarter. So for them to be lobbying some of those profits into different projects makes sense. That's what a responsible company does. Uh, this is a huge loan facility, I will say that. And so I'm curious from the Northern data side how they're thinking about this. Also curious why they've made it unsecured. To my understanding, that would just be like you have to make an interest payment on it, and it's probably pretty high interest payment. But Tether doesn't necessarily have any recourse to its collateral or assets that Northern Data would have. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I'm, I'm reading it. Tether did make an investment into Northern Data back in September. Uh, so I think they have a few different ways of being involved with this project. Uh, and Tether, of course, has also been making some big movements into Bitcoin mining in Latin America, especially. So. Seeing the convergence of the stablecoin world in the Bitcoin mining world is also very cool. Not just AISA. So I like that. Uh, but cool. We will close the show there for this week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, give us a sub on our YouTube channel and give us five-star review on our podcast platform of choice. Give Charlie and Matt a follow on Twitter. We'll see you guys next week.